Three years after Massachusetts shot down ranked choice voting in a statewide ballot campaign, the effort is rising again in Boston. A coalition is going to announce a new campaign this August, pushing for the next Boston City Council class and the mayor to pass a home rule petition in 2024 that would enact ranked choice voting in the city, sending that home rule up to the state house for review. Ranked choice voting, generally speaking, involves ranking candidates by voter preference. So instead of just voting for your favorite candidate, you'd rank them as first, second, third, fourth choice, and so on. If someone's the first choice of more than 50% of the voters, then it wraps up right there, like in the current system. That's your candidate. But if no one clears that threshold, the candidate who did the worst is eliminated, and then their voters' ballots would go to their second choice pick. And that process would repeat over several rounds until a candidate has the majority of votes. Proponents say that ushers in a bigger and more diverse pool of candidates, encouraged to run without fear of splitting the vote, and less incentivized to throw elbows during campaigns, because you'd need to appeal to a wider array of voters. Skeptics say it's too confusing, discards votes, and can counterintuitively still leave some voters without representation. About 60% of Bostonians voted in favor of the 2020 ballot referendum, but it wasn't enough to swing the state, which shot it down with only 43% in support. Local advocates point to busy fields like the Boston mayoral race to replace Mayor Marty Walsh, where no black candidate advanced despite Andrea Campbell and Kim Janey both receiving about 20% of the vote, only to be boxed out for the final by ultimate victor Michelle Wu and Anissa Saibi-George. The argument goes, and you can feel how you'd like about it, that ranked choice voting might have given black candidates the edge if the community split with Campbell and Janey as their first and second choices. Well, the city is going to get another bite at the apple, so to speak, but through the council, not the voters. I'm Jennifer Smith with Commonwealth Magazine, and today I'm joined by Cheryl Clyburn Crawford, Executive Director of Mass Vote and co-chair of the Ranked Choice Boston campaign. Thank you so much for being here with me, Cheryl. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. So you're going to be launching the Ranked Choice Boston Home Rule campaign here in August. Let's start with the big why. Why Ranked Choice Voting? Why Boston? Oh, okay. Well, that's easy. First of all, we had an initiative a couple of years ago, a ballot initiative in which Boston 62% favorability. So we know there's a lot of great interest in ranked choice voting, uh, and we want it. We want it here in Boston. I think ranked choice voting is um, absolutely uh, a way to break down additional barriers for people running for office, those that want to run for office. So I'm in love with it. So how would you describe the method of ranked choice voting you'll be pushing for? Are there specifics yet about the ranking format since we have some different types of uh, city council formats? So with ranked choice voting, I, I, it's 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 not rocket science, right? Like it gives people an option, gives them many options, but we have many options on a daily basis in our life. We make many choices on a daily basis in our life. Every time I go into the kitchen, I make a choice, right? That kind of thing. So I think we don't give people here in Boston or in Massachusetts enough credit feeling like they won't understand it and it's more complicated than it is. It's as simple as going to the ice cream store and ordering ice cream. If they don't have maple walnut, can I have butter pecan? You know, if they don't have butter pecan, can I have my next fit? I'm not leaving the store without ice cream, is my point. You know, so I think it's very simple um, in, in the way that we're doing 
people want to get caught up in the algorithm that works behind the scenes. That's not important. What's important is that you have choices and that you, you know, the things that rank choice voting bring about, such as, you know, dispelling negative campaigns. That's one of my favorite parts about it, because we've been involved in campaigns where there's a lot of negatives, you know, comments against each other. When you have ranked choice voting, it it kind of eliminates that because if your candidate is not strong enough, then your other choices, right, will be counted. And so that gives candidates the opportunity to just talk to everybody about their platform. And so the reason that I brought up kind of the format and the mechanics of it is specifically that if you look at, for instance, um, other areas and other municipalities that have ranked choice voting, um, you don't necessarily have a combination of a city council that has both um, at large and district councilors. So I just wanted to clarify that as you're starting to explain to voters what ranked choice would look like in Boston, how it would interact with kind of our existing systems. Yes, um, I think it will work really well because we do have the nine districts and it allows lots of people to run within each district. And then oftentimes when it comes to, uh, at the municipal level <clears throat> for the uh, at-large city councilors, <clears throat> excuse me, we have a ton of people running, right? And so this just really opens up the playing field for everybody. But I think the system itself works well within the structure that we have. So what's the actual demand for a shift in Boston elections, in your view? We have uh, nonpartisan primaries already and also nonpartisan general elections. Um, and I was going past looking through the past almost decade of elections. And Boston voters have, in recent years, elected a pretty diverse representative body. So what is it, in your view, that needs uh, fixing? Can you kind of walk me through a campaign that might have been benefited by the addition of ranked choice voting? I think that... The benefit is the fact that <clears throat> oftentimes when you want to have somebody in a seat to represent a particular community, let's just say in the Black community, you might say to another person, no, you shouldn't run because we're trying to get somebody elected. This eliminates that whole process. Everybody can run because then voters have a true choice in who represents them, right? So it, it keeps the spoiler effect away, right? Oftentimes we're trying to make sure that people, um, you know, that you're, and also, excuse me, also what it does, it makes you feel like your voice is, your, your vote is going to be counted. You're not wasting a vote on somebody. It keeps you from having to, you know, there might be somebody that's highly favorable and, but you like somebody else. This gives you the opportunity to not have to decide between your heart and your head who's the better candidate. Are you doing it for the movement? Are you doing it for yourself? This gives you a chance to really say who represents you in the way that you want them to represent you. So to the kind of involvement and encouragement point, you're talking about the kind of vote splitting effect that can happen when people are coming in that maybe both represent a certain community and then that ends up dividing those votes, right? Okay, great. So uh, 
this is a home rule and education campaign. It's targeting 2024. So uh, there's going to be a push to get the mayor and the council on board. What do you expect at this stage that that effort would look like? Who's going to be part of that coalition? On the outside, we're really building a strong coalition of community partners um, from civic organizations, labor unions, ward committees, you know, interfaith leaders, um, academic and community leaders. We're building a broad coalition on the ground um, to help us support, to help support the efforts that we're going to be making on the city council level, right? Like we need seven city council votes in order to um, pass it at the city level, then we need the mayor to be in support of it. And we already know what we believe that in 2020, when she was a city councilor, she was in favor of it. So hopefully that hasn't changed. And then we, you know, then it's our efforts are going to be focused on the state house and making sure, you know, advocating and making sure that they understand how it works, because I think that's a part of it. A part of it is the education process, right? Like making sure that we're educating people on how simple this is, not complicated, but more to the point of how simple it is. Is there any concern about the way that the Massachusetts legislature can sometimes uh, show reluctance or kind of put its foot down when uh, Boston or any other individual municipality uh, wants to kind of change its processes? Um. I don't think so. Just as the just as leadership is changing on the city level, local level, municipal levels, it's changing on the state level as well. You know, um, I think that our job is to help legislators understand what are the barriers clearly, and this is a barrier not having an opportunity to make choices of who's going to represent you. So I think that, no, I think that I'm not worried about that. I think that, you know, we've been doing, we've been advocating for a while with our city our legislators and that they understand when you spend time with them and share the information with them that we can get them to come around. I'm curious, is is there a reason to focus on Boston kind of aside from its relative amenability to the idea as seeing how it voted in the former ballot measure? Is this um, a test case for other municipal campaigns or was there a reason to kind of uh, start with Boston from a structural standpoint? I believe there are other municipalities that are working on home rule petition and resolutions to to uh for their community. Boston's the largest city. If we get it right, I think we have a template for the rest of the state in showing them how simple this task can be. So yeah, it, you can call it a test case because we you were larger, but yeah, I think we're we're making a template so everybody else can follow. And then if you kind of throw your mind back to the former ballot initiative, um, it did go down at the state level, though, of course, as as you point out correctly, Boston largely voted in favor of the idea of implementing ranked choice voting. Um, So let's start with the positives of that campaign statewide. Uh, What worked well? Well, we had great leadership. We absolutely had great leadership that really knew how to do the work on the ground, how to build coalitions, how to build consensus. Um, I think the funding went well. There was a lot of interest in it um, in making sure, in attempting to make sure that we passed that bill. I I tell you, I'm gonna segue here. I think most of the problem, right, was COVID, quite frankly. 
I believe it was COVID because when we do our grassroots organizing, we do it on the ground, face-to-face, door knocking, talking with people, one-on-one, engaging folks in forums. During the COVID the pandemic, we didn't have that opportunity. And then, so we really didn't get a chance to interface with folks on a, on a ground level. I think that was a major part of it. We didn't get a chance to really educate people in the way that we do for other pieces of legislation that are new or unknown. So we didn't, we didn't have that opportunity. Right, because what you've identified there, of course, is a problem whenever you propose um, a change to the existing system, particularly one that people are kind of comfortable with. They've gotten into a habit of voting a certain way. Um, so if I'm understanding correctly, you're saying that when you're dealing with proposing a new system, perhaps one that feels more complicated to people, there's um, a measurable advantage to having a face-to-face interaction with that potential voter. Absolutely. The, the, nothing can replace that for all the work that we do. Mm-hmm. So what's the what's the pivot from there? If you're thinking about it from a kind of face-to-face grassroots effort, but also perhaps kind of the change in focusing from a statewide outreach effort straight to Boston, what needs to improve from the previous campaign? I would want to say our public education piece, just enhancing that, making sure that we're doing a lot of community events making sure that we're talking to uh, Bostonians about ranked choice voting and getting them on board, Uh, making sure that we're doing ranked choice voting led events, right? Like having the opportunity to really just create a space where people can ask a forum, where they can ask all the questions that they want to ask. This is perfect timing, in my opinion, because this is an election year. Right. And so we are doing candidate forms. We do have the opportunity to ask all the city councilors that want to be our representatives. Where do you stand on this issue so that they can make it clear to to the community, because that's how we educate the community. We don't want to just tell them who to vote for. We want them to make their own choices. And the only way to do that is to make sure that they're um, presented with um, the, 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 the data and make sure that they have the opportunity to hear from the candidates themselves. So walk me through an example of what ranked choice voting in Boston could look like if it works. Let's say there's, um, what's an open seat right now? Uh, Let's say we're looking at say District 3, for instance, where there are a lot of diverse communities in Dorchester. If you're hoping to see ranked choice voting work as you hope it will, what does that look like? Uh, how many candidates would you hope to see? What kind of engagement would you hope to see? And then what would feel like a fair result at the end of it? What I'd like to see are community people that are really engaged in that district, in their community, that feel like they have something to say, a voice, want to usher in an issue, that they and they feel like they can stand up, right? To go ahead and stand up not have to worry about getting the right person in, right? Like opening it up so that as many people that want to run in this seat, run in the seat. What does success look like? It looks like 51%, right? It looks like people are winning with big numbers and that this is what people, the consensus of the entire community, not the favorables. So 51% is the target, 50 plus one. 
Uh, and looking at the actual results here, I think one of the critiques that we might want to get into is there's the argument that uh, ranked choice voting creates kind of a false impression of majority, where if you look at the pushback and the awkwardness around races, for instance, on the congressional level around um, uh, Lori Trahan's election, Jake Auchincloss's election, where there's a very crowded field and someone wins with maybe a smaller proportion of the vote um, and then has to kind of claim a mandate for the entire district. Uh, how does ranked choice voting correct that problem without creating the idea that there's more agreement than there is? I think they correct that problem by simply using it the way it's intended to be used. It's intended for us to have a majority vote. If someone is favorable in one particular corner of a particular neighborhood, right, it gives everybody the opportunity to weigh in. So that the folks that are working that, let's just say in District 1, I'm just making this up, in District 1 of a particular neighborhood, that and, and everybody's gung-ho over there, everybody in the other parts of that same district have the same opportunity to weigh in. They may have a different candidate. It's truly made the best candidate win. The best candidate that has the highest consensus amongst all of the um, constituents in that community. So everybody weighs in on that particular issue, on that particular person, not just the favorites. What are you thinking in terms of the impact that it can sometimes have in terms of leading to a more moderate elected body, uh, where the idea that a consensus pick might also be someone who's a little bit more toward the middle of the political spectrum? Is that um, an outcome that you expect, uh, hope for, or don't hope for? Um, I'm neutral on that because... I wanna say the door should be open and whoever wins, wins by this system, right? Like you win by the 50 plus one. So whether they turn out to be moderate, or conservative, liberal, to me, that doesn't matter because it's gonna be the consensus of that community that votes that particular person in. This is another opportunity, another way for us to really have citizens come out and engage, have your voices heard. When you know that your, vo your vote is not going to be wasted, right? Where you feel like, sometimes people feel like, oh, they've got this race, they're the favorite, why do I need to go vote? No, you put your candidate, you get your candidate to run and then, they get out there and do the work because if that person that's favorable is doesn't win by 50%, 50 plus one, then possibly there's a strong possibility that your candidate could come in and win. I've seen it happen when we voted ranked choice voting for restaurants. And how does that interact with the critique from the opposition that was uh, quite loud during the ballot campaign saying that this in a different way leads to discarded votes that uh, say smaller proportions of the population actually then are less likely to see kind of representative electeds because they are going to kind of be lumped in with perhaps a louder majority? Mm, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think that holds because it, it, that doesn't make sense to me in that way, because if the smaller majority cannot win, then they just can't win. So who else do you have? 
if your person can't win, who else would you, who is more closely aligned with your values, right? Your issues. Your person might not be ready. This is a lesson where they know they have to go back and build a base. In the meantime, we need to have somebody in that spot. So who's next? Does it end up incentivizing, um, not from kind of the voter's perspective, but perhaps from a, a candidate's perspective, pushing for a bullet balloting campaign? You sometimes see that in Boston with the at-large races right now, where uh, perhaps there are a number of the higher vote getters that were more kind of coalitional or majority supported. But if there's one candidate that encourages their constituency to just vote for them and not include any other at-large candidates on their ballot that can get kind of that fourth person or third person into the race. How does ranked choice voting, in your mind, deal with the possibility that um, candidates with less popular support might encourage people to kind of circumvent the ranked choice voting process? By doing the bullet voting I don't think you I don't think it will it will affect it in a major way if you're doing bullet bullet voting Mm-mm. because you still have to get that fifty plus one. It's just that they won't have a second opportunity if their candidate doesn't come out with the um fifty plus one right. And so the reason that I bring it up is the at large race um where it's not necessarily about getting kind of the fifty plus one but about being the top four vote getters uh this is kind of one of the one of the issues as you know about um boston's system here so if you're um conceiving of ranked choice voting and how it would work for the at-large pool um is that a matter of clearing a particular bar or just managing to squeak into um the top spot i i think that it it will work the same way to get in those top four spots you still have to get, you know, the percentage, the higher percentage. So I think it will still, I have to give that a little bit more thought, honestly, but I think that it will play into the same system. It will be just fine to do ranked choice voting to come out with your top four. Gotcha. Uh, and I, I would love to touch on a few things that you brought up at the top, kind of about how this aligns with other priorities and other efforts uh, to kind of create equity and increase participation in election processes. Um, you and Tanisha Sullivan are, of course, active in leading the Boston NAACP, which is about to host the national conference. So I'm sure it's very busy over there right now. And you're co-chairing this campaign. So how is ranked choice voting interacting with some of the other initiatives you're pushing for right now? My daytime job, I'm the executive director of Mass Vote. So this is definitely in our purview, you know, and we were definitely on board with ranked choice voting from the very beginning. Um, so what I'm doing with ranked choice voting is clearly in alignment uh, with the work that I do at Mass Vote. It is a part of our legislative agenda. We made it a part of our legislative agenda um, this year. Um, I only get involved in things that totally align with the work that I'm doing, either primarily with mass vote and, of course, with the NAACP. And it, because we believe that ranked choice voting supports underrepresented populations, it fits nicely into both civic engagement and civil rights. 
So what are kind of the next steps that you're looking at right now? We're heading toward the campaign's hard launch next month. Uh, the ground game is starting to get underway. Uh, walk me through what the election season that you referenced is going to look like from the Ranked Choice Boston perspective. So, and we're right here at the tip of it as we start get, thinking about GOTV, but in just before GOTV, it's about making sure that we're educating the community. And so the, those are the things that we're doing. We're having, we're hosting candidate forums where, uh, where they're being openly asked, you know, uh, where they stand on ranked choice voting. We are creating candidate guides that will be distributed on the door. One of the questions will be, how the um, candidates voted or aligned themselves around ranked choice voting. And that'll be on people's doorsteps, right? Like so that they can read about it, they can hear about it. We will continue to host um, events you know, in all major table at all major events. The idea is that we continue to get the information out there so it doesn't seem new. I don't think it seems as new now as it did, you know, a year or two ago, because we continue to talk about it um, and to keep unpacking it so that people can understand it. And we're going to continue to do that, you know, continue to get information out there, continue to talk with um, individuals about where they stand on it. All of the city councilors, um, you know, we're asking them, what do you think about it? How do you think about it? You know, we know that some elections have already been really, really close where ranked choice voting may have made a difference, that kind of thing. If the person won with 50%, <laughs> you know, too much, too often we accept the fact that our elections are won with a very small number of votes as, and, that, and that person gets to, you know, run fill, fulfill the election season you know their whole session uh with 20 percent of the vote that's ridiculous so what effect does it end up having on voters on campaigns on candidates in general existentially when a candidate wins with say only 20 percent of the vote but then gets to claim a mandate for victory to represent their constituency as though they got a majority i i just think that people tune out they're not tuned in. It's not their choice. And if if and that person may or may not be in alignment with their issue or value, right? Um, and what people do is they tune out. They're busy with life. People are moving on. If they don't feel like they're connected, if they're not connected to the elected official, people just tune them out and keep moving on with life, you know. Um, our idea is that you tune in. Right. Have your voice measured, have your voice heard. Um, and the reason you can do that is because you now have somebody in there that's more aligned with you. Um, but yeah, I think that um, I don't think it's the right thing to have an elected someone in a position that only won with 20 percent that we've been doing that for years now. That's why we're really um, pushing for ranked choice voting, because we want to make it more inclusive more diverse and really look at ways that we're strengthening our democracy.
Okay, great. That is all the time we have for this week. Thank you again to Cheryl Clyburn Crawford, co-chair of the Ranked Choice Boston campaign and executive director of Mass Vote, for joining me on the podcast. And to our listeners, we'll be back with you next week.